You're listening to an Irreverent Podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. My name is Janice Legata, and this is God Has Not Given, an evangelical podcast featuring me and my failing faith and conversations with my friends and family. And this is a new season. It's fall, y'all. I mean, not really, but almost, practically, basically. And what's the alternative? It's still summer. Bummer. Anyway, hi. It has been a few weeks, possibly a month or so. I missed this, but also am so glad that I took that little break because it gave me time and space to up my game, frankly and see where this podcast wanted to go. And oof, this podcast has decided to go there. I named my podcast after a thought that had been recurring in the back of my head for a few years. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but I got this from somewhere. On this side of things, I am fully convinced that Christianity as it was packaged and given to me was a fear-based religion. Everything that was handed to me was based in fear, wrapped in fear, dip fried and served in fear, which left very little room for the things that Bible verse says that God has given us power, love, and a sound mind. So this next season, I am exploring how we were taught, what we were taught, and how far too often we lost healthy conceptions of power, love, and sound mind. And I knew it was going to be good, but man, I am emotional all the time now thinking about the episodes I've already recorded for this season. I've been having such a good time being consistently wrecked. My friends, my friends, y'all. I got some good news just before this and Someone said to me, I don't know where you're at, but this is proof that God is real. And listen, if amazing things happening to me were enough to prove that God is real, the caliber of the people I am loved by would have already been more than enough. But the whole thing here is that I've never said God isn't real. I just don't buy the one I was given. And so here we are. And this week, this first episode back is the first half of a two-parter that is better than I could have asked or imagined to start this new season. Buckle up, y'all. We are going Alejandra Duque Cifuentes, Ale, and Ale, I know from Hillsong, she is one of the gifts of that experience. I, I heard of her before I ever met her. I ran the stage managing team for the first few years, and then I stopped. And at some point she picked up the mantle and first time I ever laid eyes on you, like knowing who you were, was at Hillsong Conference in New Jersey, holding, like doing the damn thing, just holding <laughs> the, the whole thing together. And at that point I was already I already had questions, was already having conversations about things, but I think that was one of the first times I, I, I can remember thinking, oh, people need to be getting paid for this because what you were doing, that's not, that's not a volunteer job. The amount of responsibility you had, the people you were leading, the equipment you're dealing with, just like the, the high level shit you were doing. Wow. Okay. So yeah, so so you are a boss many ways for many reasons. That that's that's how I know you. Yes, <laughs> this is accurate. I remember, I remember like one of the moments we met, like one of those moments when I was like, 
where you weren't like one of the people in the group where it was like, who is this person? I was labeling Carl Lentz's mic and <laughs> you put big cat. And I was like, that's not the name I'm using. This is, people don't know who that is. It's Carl Lentz. And you're like, it's big cat, but it's fine. We keep doing it your way. <laughs> I remember that moment so clearly. And I don't ever remember that, but but I apologize because that <laughs> now I, oh that would have been so annoying, especially again like I said, given everything that you were doing and everything you had on your plate. Like I had the luxury of just like floating in there at that time and being like, oh, this is yeah, like this. It's I mean, it's never fun. But like in the in the rank of people who could have enjoyable moments there, yeah, I could. And you're like, you had a real job. <laughs> I mean, that conference was funny because I remember I'd been working as a stage manager and production manager and producer for in you know theater, music, and the arts for a while, and I hadn't I hadn't been able to get my union card because I hadn't worked enough gigs in what would be considered professional venues. I hadn't done enough like equity contracts, but at the same time, like some really complex shows and seasoned playwrights and producers wanted to work with me. And they were like, you know, they would say to me, like, you are like a stage management prodigy. And I never understood what that was. I was like, I always felt really weirded by that. I was like, I don't understand what you're saying because I'm just here, like, I'm here to do this job. Like, I'm just trying to get, I'm just trying to figure out, like, the matrix of how we're going to get this thing from one place to the end, like, really quickly. So, like, I I wasn't thinking about the construct of, like, careers or, like, how things are supposed to work or how they used to work or historically work. So I came in with that mindset at that conference, and I had no rank. I didn't, I didn't know anybody that was important. Um, you know, my closest person was a friend of mine from my old church that was on the band and that was like the closest to the closest amount of power that I knew and so I came in and I was like volunteering and I was just like a regular I started the conference as like just someone that had signed up on the team that was like helping like there were other other side oversight and then when we started I was like this is not how you do this and I just like <laughs> Like midday the first day, I was like, so where's the schedule? Like, what's the this? this? And I like just grabbed blank pieces of paper and with Sharpie, like rewrote the schedule and did like, a, a, you know, like a picture of, of the <laughs> the blocking on the stage. And then somehow people were like, yeah, yeah. So she's the one that's doing it. And like, I don't, like, it was like an accident. And that's how we met. You know, I was like, I didn't even know. Like, I, I had a con the context of, like, Hillsong as a huge church and an important church and a famous church, and there were people that were famous, but I didn't, I didn't really care for that, you know? I was just like, this is a mess. I need to fix this mess. <laughs> and I was just like, we just need to make it by the end of the day, because there's supposed to be, like, five different scenes that we're rehearsing, and I just, like, where's the mic? Like, you know, I wasn't even thinking about the kind of context of what was happening and so when you said to me like big cat I was like what like there's a bunch of people here that like are working together for the first time they know who the fuck big cat is we just need to put the name of the human so they can find them by their name 
whenever they show up. <laughs> like, it, you know, I was not even like making any connection to like, you know, the history of Hillsong or people's names or their power, their position or their importance. I was like, what's the most practical utilitarian thing we could do? Because I have a list here. They told me that we were supposed to do these five things by the end of the day. And it just doesn't seem like we're going to make it there. <laughs> Very much like with blinders on in terms of what I was there to do. So that's how we met. And I just kind of rolled my eyes. And I was like, I don't have time for this. I just got to keep going. <laughs> Yeah, and it, honestly, like I said, again, I apologize because I I have the freedom to to just be free. And you were under you you were holding this intense burden. So it's funny because yeah, we were in Jersey. So then we all were staying in Jersey. We all bumped out like we all left earlier than you. So we were back at the house. And then when you came, and then it was like, oh, okay, here's the person off the clock. We're just laughing and joking and we're just eating and having a good time. And, and then that, that's what it's been ever since. I'm like, let, let Ale do what she's doing because she's going to get it done. And I'll be <laughs> fooling around in the corner over here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so intense too. I'm just so intense. <laughs> I've learned that about myself. I'm like, you know, I'm more intense sometimes. But it's for all the right reasons. Like it's, it's necessary. <laughs> like Hillsong will never... They'll never know, and they'll never give you the proper appreciation. I'll I'll thank you for it now, and I don't even care about it. Like I wish I wish it hadn't gone well, but like thank you for everything that you did, for yeah. keeping us from looking like idiots, for you know just making that run so well because it had it had no right to, it just shouldn't have. Oh, um, thank you for that. I gotta say that while being in that team, I did how many conferences? Barclays. Two at King's, Madison Square Theater, probably like six or seven conferences in the course of my time there. And the people that mattered to me personally, they said thank you. They knew. They knew what was being carried. Yeah. And I think that's why I don't resent the time that I was stage managing there. I'm the same though. Like I, I don't regret any of the time spent with anybody outside of leadership, which was 95% of the time. Hillsong, these mega churches, they're full of great people. They're just not in leadership. So we're all, we're all like trauma bonding, having the best time possible under like the worst situations. But it's like, yeah, I don't, I got all these amazing people. Mm. And now I have, we have the inside knowledge to help burn it down. So it's like, it all, it all works. It all works out. But here we are already getting into it and we haven't even done the first things we're supposed to do. So <laughs> speaking of churches, for the past episodes, the game I was playing was whether or not I'm a Christian. Now I don't, I don't really care. Salvation, personal salvation. A lot of Christianity is just very individualistic and that's part of the problem. So it doesn't matter what I am. What matters is these, these organizations, these, these things we're getting into. So instead of whether or not I'm a Christian, I'm trying to decide whether or not I've been to church lately. So give me three things that to you make something or someplace a church. Mm, such a good question. I was taught, well, you know, I've been in the church, quote unquote, 
the form of the church that you and I experienced when we were together. Since I was a child, you know, I was maybe, you know, I, I uh, accepted Jesus in my heart when I was eight. And it's actually a moment I've never forgotten. And, and I think it's because it goes beyond the way that I was taught to define it. Um, but since that time, I've been in like church settings. And the church that I went to before I was at Hillsong is where I think I learned what it meant to be in church. It's a place that caused me a lot of harm, but it's also a place where I became a lot of who I am today. And so there's a complicated relationship of profound love and gratitude and anger. Isn't that what family is? So what I learned about what I witnessed, what I experienced, the muscle memory that I have of what church is, is community, like showing up for the other person. And, and I don't, and I mean showing up for people in their presence. I mean, when I lived with my mentors and we all didn't have enough money to eat and we would share what food there was, right? I mean, not having winter clothes and somebody going into their closet and picking their best clothing and giving me clothing for my first winter in New York. I mean, having questions about the world and how it worked and asking them in a space that was safe and those questions being received with curiosity and wonder. That's what I mean by community. So in that place, I learned that, that that the church was community, right? I also learned that church was a place of joint vision where there was something that we were all tor working towards, you know? At the time, it was the salvation of the world and making sure no one went to hell. But, but I, I learned how to be a leader in that place because I learned how to be a really good follower. I learned how to fall in love with a person and to believe and trust that what they saw, maybe I couldn't see it, but I could trust that what we were doing and I could trust that vision and I could help build it like if it was my own. And it was also a place of learning. It was a place where I was actually learning new things and like testing out skills and like, you know, what we call in the business setting, professional development, what we call in the educational setting, you know, like career development, I was learning new things. There were people that were like, there is something that I know how to do. Would you like to learn how to do that? Does that interest you? And me being like, that would be super cool. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, come do it with me. Watch me do it. Then you can try it. Then we could do it side by side together. And then you could do it alone. Like I experienced that in the church that I went to previous to Hillsong. And so it's a place that was so formative for me. It was like so much of who I am today, even the things that questioned Hillsong, that then questioned that church, that questions Christianity, that moves me into who I am as a person today, were things that I learned in this place. It's what taught me how to be a community organizer and build the communities that I am now a part of that are not faith-based. And so that is what, to me, a church is. I have experienced that place before. I miss it very much. And I believe that I build that 
kind of community now in the things that I do. Right now, I have the incredible privilege of, of having a job that I really love, that is connected to a community that I really love, where in many ways I am building a church. But it's not a building or an affiliation, association. It's more of an ecosystem. And it has many of those similar characteristics. I love that. And so based on your, your three things, I would say, yeah, I have been in church a lot lately. And friendships and you know, putting stuff together. And then right now working on trying to get back into, into theater. And I've always been like, oh, if, if I were ever going to build a church, this would be it. This is all the things. Getting to hang out with people you love, doing something you love. Absolutely. That, that's my kind of church. I have been lately. But how did we get here? What, what is your faith background? Well, I'm from Colombia. I'm from South America. And so I grew up in secular Catholic culture. You know, like Easter Sunday, baptism, marriages, that kind of churchgoer. And the way in which the Catholic church and its culture had seeped into secular culture, you know, in South America. And so that was the extent of like my knowledge of like God and, you know, just kind of the basics. When we moved to the United States and my father was deported, my mother was a single mother and, you know, we were looking for community and our, one of our neighbors told my mom about this Pentecostal church, in Miami, and we went there. And that was the first place that I encountered the kind of evangelical Pentecostal non-denominational Christian door of belief. And you know, I was eight years old. I remember that day. I remember that day. And I remember the, the I don't know what the preacher, I don't remember what they were talking about. I remember it was like, like a race seating area that led to a stage. I don't know if I'm making up that it was half moon like Radio City Music Hall or, you know, if it's a com congruence of memories. But I remember that I was small and I had a context of the adults around me. Like I was kind of hidden. And I remember that I was so moved. Like I was so moved by what was being said and what was being sung and witnessing my mother also experience it. And I remember being like, oh, well, God is for you, isn't he? And, you know, they asked, like, do you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and all of that? And I, and I didn't raise my hand, but I wanted to run to the front. It was like I, could, I didn't raise my hand, but everything in my body was telling me to run to the front. But I think the action that I took, and I think it was like I was doing it in my head, but I didn't do it physically, was like holding my hand to my heart and being conscious that I was making that choice and that I was saying yes to that invitation. And I don't think I understood the invitation, but to me it was like um, like a portal that I was entering through or welcoming or a lens that I, like, it was like a dimension that I could suddenly now see and feel and experience. And those very first years of Christianity, quote unquote, for me, are years that I return to often and that I don't actually experience anger when I think about 
because there was a lot of like wonder and joy and like curiosity. And I remember as a child, like eight, nine, like I was in elementary school, right? I would walk in fields and talk to God. And, and I knew, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I just talked to him. Like, it was a matter of fact thing. Like, it wasn't a religious ritual. It wasn't taught to me by anyone. There was no prayer that I was reciting or no way that I was taught to do it. It was like, and I believe that whatever it was, I was connecting to something. And it, it's a time of my life that I've recently excavated, re-excavated and remembered. Um, I'm doing a, I'm a part of a support group for immigrant children deconstructing Christianity from Reclamation Collective, who is really an incredible group of people and y'all should just go check them out and throw your money at them. You're looking for places to tithe? That's where you can do it. And, uh, that memory resurfaced in those conversations. And I remember that that is not the Christianity that I was eventually taught. Um, but, you know, eventually I joined churches and pretty much since I was a kid, I've always been volunteering. The indoctrination of volunteerism is, is uh, happens young. And, but I've always been a, a, a person that does. And so that also is just also in alignment with who I am as a person I like to do and, and help. I'm a builder. And so I build. Builders don't build. So um, since I was a child, I was always volunteering, helping to create things, set up, you know, like classes and this and that and the other. And, you know, we started at a Baptist church and then we ended up at a more non-denominational church. And, and all of these churches were Spanish-speaking communities for my mom as an immigrant, as a non-English speaker, for us as her children you know, the church was also the place that I was experiencing safety in terms of what language I could speak, people that more or less shared certain customs as me. It was like a place of safety in this new country and in this space where we didn't have other family. And, you know, it, it it's why I preserved my Spanish language. It's why I've been able to still read and write in Spanish. It's why I and still so deeply identified with where I'm from. And so it served multiple purposes. It wasn't just a place of church and God, but it was, it was community in other ways as well. And I ended up in the Spanish church that I went to before Hillsong that is based in Miami and then had planted a church here in New York. And so when I moved to New York City, that's how I ended up there again. And then eventually I left that church because there were questions that I had that remained unanswered. And Hillsong was what felt like the next space where those questions were okay to ask, to be asked. And there were certain things that at Hillsong were felt safer, you know, in terms of how I dressed or certain things like what you could eat or not eat and drink or not drink or colors of your hair and creativity and being in relationship with other people in the city and not feeling the need to purex everyone's lives immediately once you met them because of all of the kind of more conservative views of what life meant as a Christian, which in our old church was both a connection to Christianity, but also a connection to our secular 
Spanish-speaking immigrant cultures. And it's like a double impact of Christianity because those secular cultures were informed by Catholicism. So really it was like dealing with the remnants of Catholicism as they, and, and really white supremacy and colonial culture as it manifested in the secular cultures of the countries that we all were from, because we were all from a variety of Spanish-speaking countries, plus American Christianity and its translated version. And so there came a, like an extra layer of conservatism in the Spanish-speaking church that I was a part of that I was like, okay, I'm done. And so the like next layer of a little less conservatism was Hillsong. And so it was kind of like a natural next step. And a, a lot of the young folks that were in that church, that Spanish-speaking church, eventually also did end up in Hillsong and then eventually have either moved on to other churches or left. So that's my general like faith journey and and really that Spanish speaking church that I was a part of in Miami and then in New York City that was the church that was most influential in my formative years and I and I believe that I was able to and that community of people because the church really that church as I experienced it was actually a community of people right it wasn't like this institution that I felt disconnected from, you know, like I talked to the pastors, I worked with it, you know, it was like there was actually a lot of relationship. And so that church gave me a foundation that allowed me to navigate Hillsong. And I've always said that Hillsong, and again, from like the Christian perspective, right? If you think about what we were taught of one house, many rooms, one body, different functions, all of that, right? I've always said and this is something that I said since I started at Hillsong, and I would openly say to people all the time, and it wasn't so much a criticism as it was just what I felt was a statement of fact, that, you know, every single church has different strengths. And I always felt that Hillsong was really gifted at crafting the moment of encounter with God or Jesus or, you know, but that's it, right? Like their gift was a gift of evangelism, of the moment of encounter, but it wasn't a place where you were going to be deeply discipled, at least not the Hillsong that I was going to or the one that I was in relationship with. And so I always used to say, well, you know, I guess that's fine because there are some churches that I know are like restoration churches that are almost like therapy spaces where their big thing is like, we don't want a lot of people. We're, we're doing really deep, really blah, blah, blah. There are churches that you know, the church that I was in was really strong in discipleship. It was like about building and training people up in very specific principles and, you know, deep community. There are some churches that are more about service and going out there and focused on like social, they basically are a social service nonprofit. Like Jesus just happens to be there also, or, you know what I mean? Like those churches that have hospitals and like food pantries and like, you know, and I've always thought of it that way. I was like, you know, Hillsong thing is evangelism. That's the that's their gift. The encounter, the moment, the atmosphere that convinces you, right? And some people thought it was a, a criticism. I thought it was a statement of fact. And and that it helped us to be clear about what we were good at and not good at so that we didn't sell the wrong product <laughs> and lie to people about what and so I always felt that like it, it needed mature people to lead it and to make it function but it was not a place where people could mature 
And so I felt like my role in Hillsong was more about my personal development and how I was navigating that space than about what the church was teaching me. Now, obviously, inevitably, I learned a lot of things because doing anything at scale is a very different ball game than doing something with 100 people in the local community and it's the same families every week. And so obviously I was learning things, right? But but I don't think I was learning because of the context of like God. I think what I was learning was the strategy of scale and how it impacts. What happens when you make a decision when you're working at that scale? And so the the other things that I think I learned we're on the production side, but that has nothing to do with church. That's just the whole line of artistic business that I was learning about. But Hillsong, there are some things it does really well. As a stage manager there for a while in the conferences, there there's an arm of production that in professional spaces was definitely missing that I was helping to fill that wouldn't have flown in any other professional show that I would have worked in. And there were some things that I was like, oh, this is really this is really like spot on. Like this is, wow, this is great. This is cool. I'm learning a lot about this thing in production. So that's my faith journey. I, I uh, had a lot of questions about Hillsong. I have posted a lot of questions about Hillsong, about what was happening there. And I've openly actually spoken about them since I started being a member and they got louder and less patient as the years went by. And then I decided that I needed to stop asking questions that were not listened to. And so I slowly started to pull back different layers. I stopped volunteering. I pulled away. I stopped volunteering in the stage. I stopped volunteering in youth because I was also volunteering in youth. I stopped attending Sundays. I, the last thing that ended was connect. That was the last. Thing that phased out and in retrospect I have been asking the same question since I was in my team about the church and I had been gaslit into thinking that the questions were wrong rebellious you're trying to control things that are not in your hands to control they're not for us to answer, blah, blah, blah. And so when people ask me like, oh, well, you know, when did you start deconstructing? I was like, no, I think I was 12. Uh, <laughs> you know, so that's my, that's my faith journey. And where, where are you now? Where am I now? I am, I am in two places at the same time. I am... I think I'm grieving and mourning that very beautiful community that I described that brought me so much joy and pride and God, it felt real, you know, it was just muscle memory real, present in the flesh real, you know, and I am, I think on the tail end of my anger and in the place of, uh, realizing that I was told that life without God was not possible and realizing that it is. I found myself thinking, gosh, I just, 
I just need a, I just need a few years or a few months where like, there's just no God. I just, just need a, a moment. I am in the place of deconstruction where I am trying to figure out which ones were the lies that I had adopted as truth. And I say lies, not as if it's like there's a thing that like on one side is a lie and the other side is the truth, but more like what I was told was not possible, right? Like there's only this one thing, nothing else is possible. And that's what I mean by lies. Like not so much that there is like this specific lie and then there's this one truth on the other side of it, but rather there are just different options. And I'm trying to figure out what the implications of that are for my life and the decisions that I had made up until this point, which were built upon all of those other things that I was told, this is it. There's nothing else but this. And so there's a part of me that does feel like I was definitely robbed. Um, And I'm a curious person. I enjoy the process of learning and Discovery, not in the colonial sense, but like awe, right? Discovery in the sense of like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was a thing or that that, you know? And for someone that is so curious to have at such an early age been limited to one option, you know, that sucks. Uh, So I am in a place where I am finding a moment of repose, not thinking about God. I get that. One of the Christianity taglines, you know, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Yeah, I need this relationship to end. And I need you to be out of my sight for a while. Like, I don't want to know what you're doing. I don't want you to know what I'm doing. Yeah, just, just some time apart. That's kind of also what's happening with some of the people. I I remember having a thought like, oh, actually, I don't think I want to talk with or be around or know about any of the people that participated in that with me for which what we've learned in the past year was not a deal breaker. And I remember having that moment of being like, oh, Oh my God, that's what I want. I want to cut off all these people. And it's like not even personal. Like it's not even the individual person. Like you, the individual. I'm just like, I want to just pull it out. And that's, that's, that's so real. I think in some ways I feel not, not obligated. I know how Christianity works. And I know how the people in it think and like kind of their requirements for stuff. So even for me and trying to speak about whatever, like I can't just, oh, I'm cutting you all off and I'm done. Like as soon as I do that, then it's like, oh, we don't have to listen to you anymore because you don't, you're not one of us anymore. Like you don't care. And so there are some people who are still in that world. Like I'm not reaching out to anybody. So I'm like, you're still in my DMs. You're you're saying whatever. So I'm like, I guess I can hang on because I believe in some sense, you, you know this is wrong, but I do find like I just have less and less patience for it. I've, I don't know, it's like the, the longer you've been out, it just gets harder to justify it 
yeah, it took me however many years. So maybe people need that, but I'm like, I, I feel like if I had seen everything that I've seen two years in three years in that it should have been a deal breaker for me. Like I, I would hope it would have been, but now it's like, well, how much more do people need to see? I know. I mean, a part of me is also like, you know, I'm not even angry at them. It's weird. I'm not, I like, I'm not, I don't think I'm upset at the individuals. Like I'm, I'm like, you know, you have your life and you are the steward of it. And I just, I just don't want that. And at this moment, I can't trust you. And it's okay. Like, I'm not upset. I'm like, it's okay. You, and I'm not necessarily feeling like I'm more right or like I made it. It's just not what I need and what I want. And it was like a light bulb moment. I was like, oh my God, that's what I want. I want to separate myself. And then I started, you know, like kind of unfollowing. It wasn't like I was having like these deep relationships anyway. So started like unfollowing people and just like not responding to like weird things that I saw them posting and whatever. And I was like, and then little by little, I felt like I was making the space that I needed to be where I am now. Yeah. So that's where I am. So I guess from my perspective, I'm like, well, if you're still in it and you still want to, you still want to follow me, you still want to see what I'm doing. Like then you are well aware that I am actively trying to burn down the building you are in. And like, it's not about you. I would, I would much rather you come out. I hope you do come out, but like, this is, this is what I'm doing. I now, I can't see any good in it. Like I think about it, like in terms of like for COVID, it was a 2% mortality rate and we shut down the world and rightfully so two out of a hundred people, that's too much. That's too much. So we have, we have to stop. So when I think about the mega church, what is that mortality rate and why, why are we allowing that? I know it is well above 2%. So like for me, I'm like, it, it has to go. Yeah. And especially I'm so fascinated with just the idea of, of power and what we do with it, how we get it, why do we have it? And so, you know, so even what you said, like, and I remember that justification be like, yeah, like Hillsong is, uh, it's not great at discipleship and uh, yeah, you're not really learning much, but the, it's for baby Christians. It's for, you know, <laughs> really good at getting people to Jesus. So, uh, okay. That's I'm their role think, in the body. Right. I'm not going to think too deeply about what that says about me. Like, I feel like I don't need to be fed or, you know, that I know I'm basically starving here, but uh, for others so they can starve as well. Wait, no, don't think about it. Don't think about it. But kind of realizing, okay, yeah, let's say Hillsong was really good at getting people to that moment. It started falling apart for me because I'm like, well, what, what, what is that moment? Who are they actually being introduced to? Because if you're not good at discipleship, then what are you doing with these people? And then Hillsong, like you said, they felt like it was a criticism to acknowledge the fact that all you guys are good for is getting people to this moment. And if you would be honest They're about like that. They're like the lube. <laughs> it's the lube. <laughs> which has its place right? <laughs> but you you can't build a life on that <laughs> I hope this doesn't get edited out <laughs> it will not <laughs> oh 
it's a slippery slope, right? Like, <laughs> let's take the metaphor home, baby. <laughs> oh, man. And so, yeah, so it just ended up being just this pit, pit of, of power that you are taking from other people. Because even like you said, like that, that idea of being robbed, like that's, that's so me. I'm like, so I feel robbed and so stunted in so many ways. You exchange your power. I'm giving it to the church. I'm, you know, I'm giving them my money. I'm giving them my time. I'm giving them my energy, my skills to build this thing that is supposedly helping these people. But ultimately, it really is only empowering and enhancing the 10 people at the top. And beyond that, the rest of us, it's like, oh, you're basically on your own. If you find your community, if you find your people, hang on to them for as long as you can, but then prepare to lose them when you finally realize like what this is and decide, oh, actually, I think I would like some of my power back. And I would like to be able to make this decision to do something different. And as soon as you decide that, it's game over for you, like in these institutions. We're here to introduce you to our version of Jesus. And once you meet him, we will tell you what he requires of you. You don't make any choices beyond that. That, that idea of truth and lies, like everything else is a lie besides like the one, the one path for everything. This is the one path for relationships. This is the one path for, for you as a woman. This is the one path for you as a black person. Like Which this. is hilarious to me because one of the major marketing points of Christianity to differentiate itself from Catholicism is that we do not need a mediator between God and us. And we don't need someone to narrow down what God looks like and who God is and who is allowed to let you have access to this all-powerful, creative, knowing, super expansive God. But we do the same thing just in different ways. We've rebranded it. It's like we've rebranded it because we're still telling people this is the only way to be black. This is the only way to be a woman. This is the only way to be a gender. This is the only way in which you can use your genitals with another person. This is the only way in which you can use your money, right? We, what we did, you know, have you seen the latest Suicide Squad? Spoiler alert. What we did is that starfish in Suicide Squad is what we've done. And I'm gonna let your listeners go watch the movie and figure it out. That's what we've done. So that's that, and that is where we press pause. And man, we are literally just getting started. I don't even want to say too much about what's coming up in the second part because no spoiler alerts, right? And speaking of no spoilers, Ali referenced the latest suicide well, okay. Suicide Squad movie. And on her recommendation, I watched it, and it is a very apt analogy for a little of what we touched on this week and a lot of what is going to absolutely ruin things for some people in the next episode. So if you have HBO Max, it's on there until September 5th, I think. Please note that it is extremely R-rated for violence. Um, It was a lot for me, too much. I had to look away 
a lot um, because my brain just holds on to violent imagery in a way that is not helpful. So if you're like me, tread carefully, uh, look away, or just go check out moviespoiler.com and get the gist. Anyway, uh, oh, WTF, where to find Ale? Where do I want people to find me? I am in Queens, New York City. Very proud of that placement, physical placement. I am on Instagram, Ale underscore Duque underscore Sis. I am most often found in the work that I do at Dance NYC at www.dance.nyc. That's where you can find most of what I'm doing, even though it doesn't have my name on it. And that's it. And where to find me? Uh, all the usual haunts, but hey, guess what? I now have a Patreon. So please check it out, patreon.com backslash Janice Legata. And if you want to, and if you can, please, please patronize me. And that's it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I don't even know how to express how I hold this podcast. It is such a fun thing. I mean, I get to talk to people I love, but it's also very weighty. And this season especially, I'm trying to figure out how to do this as safely as possible for everyone because this shit is heavy. So if you listen to this and you appreciate what my guests have to say, please let them know. Reach out. Be kind. And if you don't like it, well, feel free to reach out to me or, you know, just stop listening. And even if you love it, if it ever gets to be too much, do not hurt yourself on my account. Life is too short, y'all. And whatever is not adding healthy power, love, and sound mind to you is not serving you. And you don't need it. So please, take care of you. Be well. And I will talk to you soon. I am an E. I am an E-X. I am an And I don't believe in any other hell than ever being or belonging to myself. So